Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello, jazz lovers of the world. Of course, when I say jazz, I mean the swinging jazz of the future that is the world of technology, folks. Welcome to another sterling episode of Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. And here, with his smooth, sexy stylings, on the mic just across from me is the man himself, Matthew Dickerson. G'day, Matt. What's been occupying your headspace just recently? You might be building me up a little bit too much there, James. I have got a good face for radio, though, so that's all good for our <laughs> listeners. I've actually been attending a vintage fair today. Oh, and that's lovely. You see some really old stuff. Old technology. Old technology might be being very generous to some of the pieces <laughs> there, but old things there. But talked to a few people, ran into a few people. But of course, one person came over and just wanted to talk about electric vehicles, as they do mm. when you drive up to a vintage fair in yeah, electric an electric vehicle. vehicle. Yeah. And of course, there were lots of cars on display there, vintage cars, which is lovely. And my vintage car was an electric vehicle, which obviously wasn't an electric, <laughs> it wasn't a vintage car. Someone asked me if I was into vintage cars, and I said, well, I, I'm not, but maybe I should try and find some of those early electric vehicles that were out before internal oh, yeah. combustion engines took over. But no, I'm, I'm not into antique cars. The I ones like. with the really long extension cords. <laughs> they're, they're the ones, yeah, they had a very short range. But his statement, which I, I often offer to give people 50 cents, and I did to this particular gentleman, he said, I'll never buy one of those electric vehicles. Oh, and I offered to give him wrong, 50 cents and said, give me a call here. I'm covering the cost of the phone call, which I'm sure phone calls aren't 50 cents anymore, but <laughs> here's 50 cents. Give me a call. You'll buy one before the year 2030. And he said no. But his reason for saying no was, he's a very nice gentleman because he was worried about society. He said, the reason I'm not going to buy one is because the grid can't handle the charging ah. of all those electric vehicles. So if we right. had all electric vehicles tomorrow, the grid would be going to burn out. The grid's going to burn out. So I'm not going to get my electric vehicle. I'm going to stick to my petrol vehicle because obviously it's Saving going to damage society. society. That's right. Yeah. So that's a, a very nice gentleman. As I said, he's going to save society. We have talked about it before. I'm not going to go through the boring details again of the fact that the grid is going to keep growing and the grid will be able to handle all those electric vehicles, keeping in mind that all those electric vehicles aren't charging at exactly the same time. Mm. And normally people are probably charging them overnight. And as we know, the whole off-peak charging system was created in the early days because people weren't using electricity at night and they were trying to level out mm. that usage of electricity. So you're charging your vehicle overnight. It's probably going to be a time when the grid can handle it. But anyway, there's lots of details around that. I've written some articles on it in years, many years gone by, busting some of those common myths, and that was one of them. But it's amazing that people are still thinking. Ha obviously hadn't read any of those. So. He will after I send him one of those articles. <laughs> when you bombard him. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> anyway, interesting the way people are still thinking. We've still got a ways to go. Mm. All right. Let's get this show on the road, folks, with our first story. Now, I remember the comic books of the 70s and 80s with their ads for mail-order spy cameras and fake vomit and dirty soap, etc., etc., etc. But the big one, and you may remember this if you were of my era, folks, do you remember the X-ray specs? Now, if only I had a spare $1.85 plus postage in those days. I was a bit short. I would have been the king of the schoolyard, checking out people's undies just like in the ad. Now, savvy people among you might have noted the small hole in my plan. Well, in 2023, my plans have come alive again thanks to the whiz kids at MIT who have developed actual X-ray vision headsets, apparently. This time it's for real. 
Matt, I'm not going to lie, I am so excited. And what are my chances for a dollar eighty-five plus postage? Hmm, maybe not quite a dollar eighty-five, but I want to go back to that. I well remember those comics. Phantom was some of my favourite comics, and they had those little ads in the comics as you talked about. Yeah, look, I, Mum gave me a box of my old comics, and I was looking through them just in the last couple of months, and I pulled out one today, and I found the ad. <laughs> That's how come I knew it was a dollar eighty-five uh, plus postage. I was very impressed with your memory to remember how much they were. <laughs> All I could remember was that they were too expensive for me to buy them, but I also had a bit of a problem with the x-ray glasses because I just couldn't understand the scientific principle behind how those glasses w- would work. So even if I could I get the $1.85, I just I wasn't going to buy them because I didn't understand them. I reckon they were probably just a frame with a card, bit of cardboard with sort of spirals drawn on the outside <laughs> of them, and that was about it. So was it more the idea that you could say to people, oh, I can see your undies, <laughs> and so that would scare them. The and threat that it was actually happening. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to let you try them out, but I can see your undies. cardboard glasses. Yes. I don't know. I don't know. If you know someone who had them, folks, can you please email us and let us know <laughs> and what they're all about. Tell us if you can fool people with them. <laughs> anyway, moving on to today's modern technology, you're spot on. MIT researchers have got a headset, which is essentially a VR headset, which they're talking about X-ray vision. Now, they're being a little bit cute in that. They're probably trying to... Oh, so they're not even x-ray. Well, you think about putting x-rays on VR glasses that yeah, you start to... Pro- dangerous. That's right, to project out. <laughs> as you, I can see your undies. By the way, I'm giving you cancer. So, yeah. <laughs> so x-rays probably... probably give myself cute. a bit of a whack as well, straight to the eyeballs. <laughs> that's yeah. right. So they're not x-rays as such, but it's the x-ray vision concept. And it's not even quite as cute or as exciting as I thought it might have been, because what you can Matt, see... Matt, this story is getting more and more disappointing I by know, the second, is, anyway. Is, yeah, but the headlines sounded good. <laughs> <laughs> what they're relying on is seeing RFID tags. So here's the story. You've got your warehouse, you've got your storeroom with all your products in it, for example, and they've got RFID tags because they're going to be used, for example, maybe for scanning in a shop or maybe for security tags in a shop. And so then you say, gee, I need to find my shipment of black t-shirts sized L and you put your VR goggles on and you tell the VR goggles that's what you're after and it will find in amongst all these boxes in your warehouse the RFID tag in there. So the RFID tag, we understand essentially how they work. We've probably discussed them before, but they're not a powered device. They're waiting for a frequency to excite them, which then allows them to transmit a very small amount of power. So you put this VR headset on with the X-ray vision add-on and you can look around and pick up products. And I watched a video of it in operation and it looked quite impressive, except you'd hope your warehouse was a bit more organised oh, no. than that. <laughs> what about like my bedroom or maybe the the office? Could I tag my keys with a uh, with this tag? And I was actually thinking more of teenage children with their mm. floor drobe, as I like to call yeah, it, yeah, yeah. where all their clothes are built up. So as long as you keep RFID tags on those clothes forever and a yeah. day, they might set off a few security <laughs> mechanisms when they walk into shops. But as long as you keep them on, yes, you could walk into the bedroom and look at the pile of clothes on the floor and say, Bingo. yep, there you go. There's that pair of jeans there's I've been looking Phantom for. T-shirt, yeah. <laughs> That's right, the Phantom T-shirt. So I, 
watched a few examples in a warehouse in a storeroom, but also in a retail environment where people were taking clothes off the hook, for example, trying them on or looking at them and then just leaving them in a bit of a pile, which some people are a bit rude and they mm. do that. But then someone came along at the end of the day, put the goggles on, and they could pick out those individual items and put them back up where they were meant to go. Very limited use at this stage. And I was trying to think of expanding that, but until every item in the world keeps an RFID tag on it forever, mm. then maybe not so much. But then I start thinking maybe about livestock because you do actually have now sheep and cattle in some circumstances or the other way around, cattle and sheep in some circumstances that do have tags, sometimes RFID. So if you were looking for your favourite sheep, for example, mm. and you put your VR goggles on, you could look out across there. Now, distance would be an issue because the RFID tag has a very low transmission power because it's relying on the power from it being transmitted from your goggles in the first place. So it's not like you can look across your whole hectares, hundreds, thousands of hectares <laughs> and see a particular ship you're after. But when they're in close, maybe when you're about to shear them or whatever, then you could see them up a bit closer. So it sounds cool. Maybe there's some practical uses there, but I just thought the headline was good enough for me to get excited about it. They talk about the accuracy of it. So when you're looking at those items, for example, you can identify an item in your storeroom, warehouse, etc., within 10 centimetres of where it actually is 96% of the time. So they're pretty accurate, but again, just limited usage, I think, anyway. But I'm happy to be proven wrong, and maybe this will be all the go in warehouses in the future. And I am one step closer than I was in 1980 to getting those X-ray goggles. You are. S-W-A-L-K. That's how we used to do it in the old days, kids. Sealed with a loving kiss. You'd write out the love letter, close your eyes and plant a kiss on the seal of the envelope and your long-distance romance was as safe as houses. Well, these days in the virtual world, we need something more. Lovers can FaceTime, which is nice, but kissing the phone screen is cold and unrewarding and, well, just a little bit weird. Thankfully, a group of Chinese IT geniuses have come up with a solution to keep the spark alive, and it's not weird at all, Matt. Not at all. No weirder than you sealing an envelope with a kiss and spraying some perfume on it, maybe. Well, I'd never sprayed the perfume. Oh, didn't you? uh, Oh, that was your fault. That was your problem. (laughs) 12-year-old to my long-distance girlfriend. uh, Yeah, that was was what we did. Well, and I actually caught a few of our friends who were sending those letters back to themselves. Look at this letter I got. Look at this. <laughs> Hold on, that looks I like your writing. Girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so this isn't quite the same as that, but maybe it's probably better than that. There's a concept here that was invented by Jing Zongli, as you said, Chinese researcher at Chinese University. He had a long-distance girlfriend, and he was doing all the things you talked about, telephone, FaceTime, that's all fantastic, but then just felt that it wasn't quite enough. Now, there was a device that was invented and it was launched back in Malaysia back in 2016, which was a touch-sensitive silicon pad. So you could put one on your computer at your end, put one at the other end, and when you touch that silicon pad at one end, the person at the other end would feel the Ah, touch coming through. That's sweet. That's sweet, but it wasn't good enough for Mr. Jiang Zongli. So he decided that he would do something that was more intimate. Ooh, that sounds a bit creepy, but more intimate than a touchpad. <laughs> so he created some lips, some silicon lips that had that same sort of touch sensitive feature. So when you 
interacted, can I say that, interacted with lips? When you interacted with lips, then the person at the other end would feel the interaction coming mm. through. So the idea this would be... Weird. This, this isn't, isn't weird. This isn't weird one little bit. <laughs> the idea would be that you get on a FaceTime call, you kiss the set of silicon lips at this end, your there girlfriend you or partner at the other end kisses a set of lips down there and you can feel the kiss coming through the lips. And it's weird, isn't it? Because we are okay with a verbal connection there, talking mm. to someone long distance. We've been doing that for a long time. And then we're pretty comfortable now with the video concept. Some people still don't get that they should have clothes on with those video calls <laughs> or they get a bit confused about people being able to watch them. Bound to happen. Bound yeah. to happen, that's right. So we're getting more comfortable with that. But for whatever reason, touch just still feels that a bit uh, yeah. funny there. So, But maybe that's because it's new to us. Maybe in 20 years' time, people will be talking just about be this. Honest. Tech Talk episode 20,000 will be saying, oh, there's another touch device that comes out. Gee, it's commonplace now. Or maybe you can smell the bad breath. The smell Can't. and the touch. That's right. Why mm. not? Yeah. So that was maybe an attractive feature, the smell, but maybe not the bad <laughs> breath there. So they're not out in the market yet. If you're really keen, contact Jiang Zongli and say, hey, you'd like to help develop this because at this stage he said I've got it there it's working I don't have the know-how or the resources to develop this onto the market as a really popular device I need some help from entrepreneurs out there so he's looking for some help from people out there if you think of the market something for everyone these days actually I had a conversation with a guy the other day (laughs) who started up kangaroo jerky so he was selling kangaroo jerky right and I said so why of all the products you might be able to start in this business venture, why did you go kangaroo jerky? And he said, well, no one else has got it. I thought, that's correct. But there's lots of other stuff out there that people don't have. have It doesn't mean it's a good idea. (laughs) And maybe kissing lips falls into that category. No one else has got it, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a good idea. At the highest level of any sporting enterprise, tech is being used to monitor fitness and fatigue so that peak performance is at a at its maximum when it's needed most. So it should be no surprise that people performing at the highest level of the arts would also take advantage of this tech. But I'll bet you never imagined that a high-performance wearable wearable tech would ever enter the realm of opera singers. Matt, how is wearable tech going to help me belt out an aria to the back row in 2023? We keep talking about it, wearable technology. This is the explosion industry, things that we put on ourselves to monitor our health. That's where it's exploding. So this one here, I can actually see a lot of uses even outside singers and opera. Mm. That's where they did a lot of their testing and got a lot of the information from. It's a sensor that sticks at the top of your chest, just at the bottom part of your throat, to monitor your voice box. And then, of course, it's got Bluetooth because everything's got to have Bluetooth. That hooks back to your phone. And then you can put something like a haptic wristband on. So when you're talking, singing, shouting, making loud noises, trying to strain your voice box at the upper or lower frequencies that it's capable of doing, it gets to the point with all the testing that they've been doing where they can detect strain occurring on the voice box. And then... That obviously links up to your phone, back to your haptic wristband, and you get some vibrations on your wrist saying, hey, you're pushing it too far. Now, you can imagine an opera singer, people that are performing in any sort of activity where it's singing every night for uh, some big performance, you know, hours at a time. Mm. You can imagine trying to protect their voice would be really important, but the the audience that's there for that night wants to see this best performance from those performers. They want to see you at your best every time. That's right. So they're trying to 
belt it out as much as they can every single time, but of course trying to protect your voice box while that's happening. And I think if someone like a Jimmy Barnes, I mean, you probably got used to the fact that you weren't going to hear <laughs> a pristine voice, you are going to hear that gravelly voice, which was a bit of a trademark of Jimmy, but for an opera singer, you probably don't want that you gravelly his sound. Band straining like, <laughs> that's right, going be, off all the time. His hand to be vibrating <laughs> off. But I also started to think about then referees on a footy field, they seem to be shouting the whole time. There's a, mm. a whole audience there that's tens of thousands of spectators cheering away at every decision, or depending which way the decisions go for the home crowd, but there's various decisions. He's having to shout to get the players to hear. Even the players in the game are shouting away at each other so they can actually hear the plays and all sorts of things. So there's got to be a lot of strain on their voices, and mm. you can hear it sometimes at the end of a footy match. The players are sometimes interviewed, and you can hear that their voice has been strained during that match. Now, I'm not sure that you want to wear extra stuff while you're playing a game of footy, but the referee might. The referee could obviously have some things attached to him to keep an eye on his voice because he's going to be able to back up for match after match as well. Even school teachers. I mean, if you've got a bit of a rowdy group. Oh, yeah, I've had days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or PE teachers when you're outdoors and you're trying to make kids across here, the different things. It actually reminds me of a, of a little story. I remember very early at... I think it was secondary school, I was going to say primary school, but secondary school, when we were looking at the difference in speed between light and sound. And the way our teacher, Mr. Mully, it was, was demonstrating that was he took a, a big block of wood and, a, and another piece of timber and he'd hit them together. So he'd stand next to us, he'd hit them together and say, you can see and hear this at the same time. And then as you'd walk away, he said, I'll demonstrate. So he walked a bit away and here, okay, it still seems right. The idea was that you were going to eventually have a difference between seeing the two bits of timber come together and hearing the two bits come together. Mm. We got to the stage where we're a certain distance away and we can see and hear the difference. But we kept saying, no, no. So <laughs> he went back hundreds of meters. Surely by now, no, no, we can't see it, Mr. Molly, by now. <laughs> but I'm off topic slightly there. But that's the thing for a teacher in an outdoor environment, shouting again, mm. I'm not saying they're going to shout at the kids, but shouting across a sports field, playing matches, any of those sort of environments, I think that's something where you definitely would want to keep an eye on your voice or just make sure you weren't straining it because you you probably don't know about it till afterwards. It's a bit like going for a run and then you've got sore muscles the next day. Mm. You probably don't really know your voice is sore until that night or the next morning when it's a bit croaky. And then what do you do? Do you drink some lemon and honey? I don't lemon know. Honey does a wonderful thing yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jimmy Barnes used to swear by rocket fuel. Uh, <laughs> was it a mixture of vodka and about eight other different spirits or something? Yeah. Yeah, and that was part of his performance, I think. So. <laughs> anyway, it's an interesting concept and we are developing more and more of these different things that are going to be warning our bodies to monitor and protect our body. Apple is developing a top secret smartwatch feature that'll be a sweet deal for diabetics. Top secret. That is until now when you spill the beans, Matt. Mm, I suspect we'll be shut down after this one, James. Right. <laughs> now, we've talked... Now the hatches, <laughs> they're coming for us. We've talked before about the measurement, the universal measurement of water, for example, being maybe swimming pools, or the universal <laughs> measurement of weight seems to be how many 747s or how many ships it replaces. Yeah. So I started thinking about this particular feature on an Apple smartwatch, and I then started thinking more about the smartwatch, and obviously the universal feature of computing power is the Apollo guidance computer. Back in 1969, everyone thought that was wonderful, that the Apollo guidance computer managed to guide Apollo 11 to land mm. on the moon and just a bit of a spoiler for people there we did land on the moon and we've done what? it more than once yeah I know okay. sorry I've given it away now Go, uh, going over old ground there okay <laughs> so if I look at a modern smartwatch and compare that 
to the AGC, the Apollo Gardens computer, 34,000 times more processing power in our humble smartwatch, yeah. 16 million times more memory capacity. Now, the My AG- calculator probably has got more memory capacity I think, and processing yeah, power. I think you're right. And again, the AGC was set up to do a very specific task and it did it. Yeah. But the computing power that we've got on our little wristwatch is quite incredible. We've now got a whole range of other devices. And again, when you think about Apollo 11 and the things that it needed to have on board to try and get it there, there was a lot of technology on there for the day. But our modern smartwatch has got a GPS, a gyroscope, an accelerometer, mm. so that's pretty cool. We don't have to have a chest bend anymore to monitor our heart rate. We can do ECGs. We've got uh, altimeters? Yeah, well, hang on. Oh, now you've made me question it. Altimeters. Altimeters, thank you. Altimeters, yeah. Altimeters, blood oxygen sensors, depth gauge. I was swimming with my watch recently just in the pool and it said you're at 0.1 metres, 0.2 metres. So, yeah, that was quite fascinating. Water temperature sensors, all these things on there. But one thing that there is a huge industry in is with diabetes. Now, we've talked before about different products that you can put under your arm, for example, under your shoulder or different parts of your body that have got micro needles that go into your skin, which sounds a bit unpleasant mm. to stick that on, leave it on for a few days, take it off again, or people that have got things inserted semi-permanently under their skin, then have a, a device that's the size of, a, say, half a pack, a pack of cigarettes, another universal measurement of volume <laughs> <laughs> that they might have to put in their back pocket. But this new feature, the E5 feature, the highly secretive E5 feature, is proposing that it will measure your blood glucose levels without invading your skin. Wow. So that sounds quite incredible. Now, the way uh, Smartwatch uses its cleverness to read your heart rate is it shines a light through onto your wrist and it reacts or, or reads back the reflection from your veins. And as blood's going through, as different volumes of blood go through, it works out that higher volume, that's a heartbeat, lower volume, that's not a heartbeat. Oh, good, I've worked out each regularity of that. I can detect the heartbeat. This is doing something similar, but it's using a little bit cleverer technology, not just going, oh, yep, it's a bit thicker, it's a bit thinner. It's actually using some spectroscopy, some optical absorption Uh spectroscopy. So it's looking at the reflection that comes back, not just for, oh, is it thicker or thinner, but what wavelengths. Specific wavelengths, yeah, Yeah. right, okay. Just like any spectrometer would look at that, it's looking at wavelengths. From those wavelengths at the moment, they believe they can pick up sugar. So that's a good starting point. They haven't said anything else. In fact, Apple has said nothing about this, but they won't necessarily say anything else about other things. But my logic would be if they can get that accuracy level to detect sugar in your bloodstream in very low levels, then what else can you pick up? Can you pick up cholesterol? Can you pick up PSA tests? for All sorts of things. So this is something they've been working on for over a decade now. They believe within two years they'll then have this on a watch. You'll be able to buy a watch to be able to do this. So that sounds quite incredible. And the secret's out. The secret's now out. You've heard it here first on Tech Talk, folks. And then to give you an idea of the market we're talking about, the worldwide market for people with diabetes, type 2 diabetes, actually, no, I don't think it's type 2, just for diabetes in general, but obviously most people have type 2, there's about 10% of the world's population that have got diabetes. Yeah, wow. So you can imagine if you can crack That's something, enormous. that makes it more pleasant. And the old fingerprint has got to be an unpleasant way 
to look at your blood glucose levels, pricking a finger maybe multiple times a day, that mm. doesn't sound like a lot of fun. So if you could have something you could do that without pricking a finger, wow, I think there's a market there for it. So this is the next big thing from Apple. Apple is going to keep obviously trying to innovate. Steve jo- Jobs was around when this started. So it's something that I think he would obviously be saying, well, we need to get into this market more. Uh, just to give you an idea of that wearables market as well, US $25 billion was generated by the health wearables market last year. The estimated growth of that market is about 20% per year for the next, say, decade, and products like this will make that happen. So keep an eye out for it. Not this year's watches, not next year's, maybe, but probably the year after. Maybe next year's, but probably the year after. Good sleep is an excellent marker of good health, as we all know, and too much screen time can interfere with good sleep. And your awareness of this fact is not good for app makers of the modern age. But the makers of the Pokemon Go Plus app are on your side. While they still want to keep your usage up, they also want to look after your sleep as well. Matt, some clever clever marketing from the folks at Pokemon Go. Trying to get parents on side is a really clever little bit of uh, marketing there, I think. And I remember when Pokemon first really exploded in the app that you had to go and catch the various Pokemon. Mm. Well, I know parents who were involved with that too. <laughs> well, but parents were involved. One of the things that we had at the time was some of our kids were doing their 120 hours for their L-plates. And some of our other siblings would say, oh, I'll come for a drive with one of our kids while they're out. Oh, that's, well, we didn't realise at the start. We thought, that's very supportive that you're going to support one of your siblings <laughs> and maybe pick up some tips when it's your turn to get your driver L-plates. And that was fantastic. But they were catching Pokemon, and then they changed it so that your Pokemon, or you couldn't catch Pokemon unless you were still. So mm-hmm. you used to be able to do it when you drive along, not too fast, I don't think, but when you drive along. But it changed from a safety perspective. So again, Pokemon, well, this is a bit dangerous. People are driving and get their mm-hmm. phone out and start trying to catch Pokemon. So you had to stop. So then <laughs> there'd be one of the kids in the backseat going, could we just stop up here on the next corner and practice parallel parking? Oh, okay, good idea. And they'd be sitting in the back <laughs> catching Pokemon because that's where they were. The next thing Exactly as you said, people use technology and maybe that keeps them a bit more awake. Maybe they're spending too much time doing that and not getting a good night's sleep. So Pokemon has now got the option that you can get a Pokemon app called Pokemon Sleep and it catches Pokemon while you're sleeping. Oh, so you're actually on the job while you're sleeping. You're rewarded for sleeping, getting a good night's sleep. You might catch more Pokemon when you wake up in the morning. You wake up in the morning, you open up the app. So the first thing you do is reach for your phone, which many people do anyway. And you say, let's see what Pokemon I've now got available to me to then go and catch. And I haven't actually played it yet, but as far as I can work out, you then still have to catch them in the morning, but they're there for you. Uh. They might even be sleeping there beside you while you've been sleeping. So it's very easy to go and catch the Pokemon while you're there. So it sounds like a really clever thing to do. Your sleep gets divided into three types of sleeping, dozing, snoozing, and slumbering. I'm guessing that's the order they go in. Dozing seems light. Mm. Snoozing, oh, yeah, you're getting into it. And then slumbering sounds like you're really deep. And depending which level of sleep you're at seems to dictate what type of Pokemon or how many Pokemon you, you might have ready to catch in the morning. So all sorts of good things there, all sorts of good rewards for helping you sleep. 
very clever marketing to get parents on side from Pokemon. So I have, I've actually talked to my kids about it briefly. I said, we've got to give this a go. I want to actually see <laughs> how well it works and see if you Challenge get To motivated. see if you can sleep the most. That's now. right, yeah. And it might work against you because then, <laughs> right, kids, time to go after uni today. What? No, I'm sleeping. <laughs> catching right. Pokemon. I'm catching Pokemon. <laughs> Literary magazines have been for the longest time an avenue for exposure for budding writers, a chance to test the waters and see how their work will be received on a broad stage. Writers submit their short story and wait to see if the magazine publishers like it enough for printing and then, just maybe, they get the inspiration and motivation to produce something even bigger. But Matt, AI has tipped this on its head. You think you've got a problem in the classroom taking some assignments from kids that are using chat GPT or AI. Mm. Well, this is a problem as well. The science fiction magazine called Clark's World takes submissions from people. They pay, sometimes they'll pay a per word or they'll just pay a, a set amount. So it might be, say, 10 cents per word in an article or it might be a few hundred dollars for articles that are submitted and they're accepted. Obviously not just submitted, they've got to be accepted and used. Yeah, yeah. But they started getting a flood of entries that they didn't know were AI. They were just submitted by different author names. They were submitted by different people. And they went, gee, there's a few things about these that just seem like they've got something missing. It's just something not quite right. But they weren't too bad. They had the right word limit. The grammar was all good. There was still something that made sense in them. And then they started getting a whole bunch titled The Last Hope. And they went, something is going on here. <laughs> then they started analysing a bit further and they thought, we'll go and try it ourselves. And so they went to ChatGPT, put some entries in, The Last Hope, gave some synopsis of some of the stories they were receiving. And they got some stories that look very similar, remarkably similar to the ones they were receiving. They've now stopped submissions for the moment to work out what they're going to do about it. How are you going to yeah. prove these submissions coming in? And someone's still got to put in the submission, someone's still got to do some amount of work there, but it seems like just... For the time being, before AI starts <laughs> doing all that themselves. That's right. And it just seems like a bit of a, a factory, a production factory, doesn't it, where it doesn't have that does. individual touch, yeah. that individual creativity, but what's the solution? And people might say, does there need to be a solution? Mills and Boone, they've got a formula. Uh, Authors still write to a formula, but yeah. gee, that formula they use for Mills and Boone, how much trouble would it be to get AI to write to That's that formula? That's something that I've always caught myself doing. When I've read something that was very clever writing, you you get engrossed in it, you get lost in it. But then just that thought, someone someone thought of that to put it down. And I think um, that's something special. Mm. When no one's thinking about it to write it down. <laughs> And we tried You're killing it. me here, we, we tried it with, with my son home. We've got a couple of dogs. And when he just said, give me a story, and he put the dog's names in, you know, give me a story about dog one, dog two, going out and getting fed by mum, and just a very brief sentence about yeah. what the story was about, and give me 600 words. And you had this story, and it had put things into the story. It had <laughs> added elements to the story about someone tripping give over. Give some and, drama. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. And we sat back and went, Wow, that's pretty incredible. And from a small amount of information, you know, dogs going outside to see mum, that was a kind of about it. But, you know, again, it put all these extra elements in there. So you just sit back and go, wow, that's scary. So Clark's World has identified this problem. There's more than one Clark's World out there. There are lots mm. of magazines, interest groups, niche products, mainstream products that take submissions from people out there in the community and they hope that they're being written by people with that, as I say, that human element, that creativity and doing their research and all the rest of it. But wow. Do you think we're just going to get to the point where we don't care? 
I think so. I think so. <laughs> because if you can't tell the difference, and that's where the editors here had to really, they picked up something was different and they had to really analyse it there. But you might get at the stage where you go, oh, well, if it works and we put it in the magazine, who cares? If if Jimmy's submitting it, then sure, pay Jimmy the couple hundred bucks that we pay him. Mm. If he's gone and gone into ChatGPT and spent the five seconds to create that article, then good luck to him. So We're all going to have to make a decision. Do we fight <laughs> the good fight? Or do we shrug our shoulders and say, no, we're beat? Are you saying <laughs> you and I right now are going to make that decision or society as a whole? No, society as a whole. <laughs> yeah. Motorola is back in the communications game again and they're launching into satellite links for the common man. Matt, could this mark the return of a sleeping giant of 20 years ago? Motorola. Remember that name, folks? It was a giant, wasn't it? They, uh, they were... The number one phone company easy back in the, I'd say, early 90s. They mm. had the bag phone. They had the brick phone. Yeah. They were the phone to have. The smallest phone I ever owned was a Motorola, I've yeah, got right. to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it just shows it's you how quickly. It's a stupidly small phone, but yeah, anyway. Right. shows you how quickly you can go from <laughs> being a market leader and dominating the market to mm. some little company called Nokia came along and knocked Motorola out of the park. And, That's oh, right. Nokia, what are you talking about there? I haven't heard of them for a while. So, yeah, yeah. yeah it changed quite quickly. But. They're still there. They still exist. They still do communication products. They just don't seem to be as big in mobile phones as they were. But you remember the Apple launch last year? We talked about it briefly where you've got this emergency satellite feature. So you're out there in the middle of the desert and something happens. You've got no phone reception, no towers around you, but you can send a signal from your phone to satellites sitting overhead and that signal will get through as a text message, not designed for you and I to have a chat about what we're doing next Sunday and what we're having for lunch, but designed for that emergency situation. So it's great. You've got to buy one of the latest phones to do it, and you've got to make sure you're in certain countries because it doesn't work in Australia yet, for mm. example. works right. in North America. So only get lost in North America. Correct. That's right. If you get lost in North America, it's okay, but in Australia, so, yeah. no. You're on your own. That's right. Absolutely on your own. But what Motorola have come up with is they've said, well, that's all well and good, but not everyone can go and buy the latest iPhone. There's lots of other phones out there. Maybe you could use your existing phone and actually link it up to a device that will market. So they've got this device, which isn't too expensive, and you pay a monthly fee, maybe five bucks a month to have that. So you're probably not going to do it if you're not in some of those areas where you might get no reception and need to get some help. But for anyone that's doing trips or trips on regional roads that you don't always have reception, it's not too Mm. bad. And this is just that little bit better than the Apple one in that you can have some more significant two-way conversations via text again, not designed for phone calls, but you can do that. The first part would be the emergency where you just say, hey, um, help me out here, something's wrong. But you could then go back and forth, oh, what's wrong? I've broken my leg. And so there's a, a bit more ability for you to communicate back and forth. One of the things is that this is going to geostationary satellites. The Apple feature was more going for low Earth orbit satellites. So these satellites are 35,786 kilometres away. So they've got to have enough power in that little device to get that distance. Mm. The other thing that's interesting is when you do this, you've got to make sure you can see the sky. So if you're in a car and you have a crash and you're laying in that car and go, it's all right, I've got my Motorola Defy satellite link laying out here in the desert. I'll just get someone to come and rescue me. But if you're in the car still and you might be trapped, for example, you can't see the sky, Mm. you're not going to be able to get the signal through. So then you're hanging your hand out the window or the windscreen or whatever, trying to get that device out so it can see the sky before it can actually start to operate. But I think we're going to see more and more of this, whether it be with low Earth orbits, whether it be with geostationary satellites, 
I think we're just going to get better and better at communication with our satellites to fill in some of those black spots. But again, latency is an issue. So for anyone that's into gaming, for example, they'll still want terrestrial internet connection, terrestrial phone calls. But if it's just for text messages, you don't care about a bit of latency. So you don't yeah. care if it's half a second or a second latency going to that distance above the earth. Anyway, it's a, it's a huge area of technology that can help out a lot of people and a huge area I think that this will start to develop further. So Motorola's there now. You'll see other companies really start to play in this space. Weeds are the bane of any crop growing farmer the world over. Spraying is costly and if not done carefully, it's wasteful at the very least and or damaging at its worst. The modern farmer needs every bit of help they can get to maximise their productivity and modern tech is here to help out. Matt, what's the next big thing in modern farming? I actually only learned about spray drift and the significance of spray drift a few years ago. I talked to a a farmer that was heading up a little group Mm. and they were trying to solve this problem of spray drift. When you get the right conditions, climatic conditions, then you go along and spray your crop and you're trying to use as little spray as possible because it's expensive. Spray your crop for various weeds but if those conditions are right, they can detect that spray tens of kilometres, 50 kilometres away wow. from where you've done it. So it's not just your neighbouring farmer. It can go That's a long enormous. way. It is, yeah. It's quite incredible. It is a, a much bigger problem than I realise, especially for farmers out there who are saying, our crop is organic. We don't use any herbicide. We control our weeds in different ways, et cetera, et cetera. Someone does a test on it. They go, hold on, you've got herbicide ABC. Yeah, well, yeah. no, I don't ever use it on there. It can't possibly be right. But again, a farmer... 30, 40, 50 kilometres away might be using that particular herbicide. So there's different ways that various farming implement providers are trying to help farmers out. One of them is to get to the point where you're just spraying individual weeds. Now, that sounds like a very long, laborious process, yeah. right? Kids go out there and find the weed find and put a little dab on that. Find weed in that 50,000 right. hectares. But we've got a little bit smarter than that, and there's one particular company, John Deere, who's got a boom spray, as you'd normally see with spraying weeds, but they've got 36 cameras across the boom spray. And those cameras have got access to approximately 300,000 images of weeds that might be in that crop from different angles, as you can imagine. And then you simply drive over, as you normally would, spraying that crop, but nothing's coming out until it sees a weed, and then just where that weed is... Zaps it. Exactly right. Now, the estimation so far is that you can reduce your herbicide usage by 80%, 80%. That's amazing. Yeah, so you start talking about cost savings. Well, obviously, there's 80% of your savings on herbicide, all the companies out there making herbicide at the moment are saying, no, this is terrible technology, we don't want it. But also, spray drift or the drift of that herbicide is going to be reduced dramatically if you're spraying that much less onto your crop, obviously much less potential for that to drift and then start to impact your fellow people or fellow farmers. The other one they're doing is from a, a couple of different companies that are working on it, one by Carbon Robotics, where, forget about herbicide, why not use lasers? Lasers are cool, so let's use them wherever we can. It does the same concept. Straight out of Star Wars. It does sound like it, doesn't it? Yeah, okay. You've got cameras across a boom spray. I don't know if spray is the right word, a boom zapper. You've got cameras across there. It goes along looking for weeds. When it sees one, a quick laser zap on that particular weed kills the weed, and, of course, it sits there to then break down and go back into the soil. So good environmentally, no drift of any herbicide there. And, again, in terms of cost of running that, you're really just using electricity and you might generate that with some solar panels on your farm. So you're probably pretty 
cheap in terms of the way you do it. They estimate they can eliminate 100,000 weeds per hour. Now, assuming that's got a very weedy crop you're talking about there, as you go along and basically burn or zap these weeds. And I do wonder whether you can get to the stage when you've got a, a crop that you've had in and then you leave your field fallow for a period of time mm. and then often farmers will go along and spray out whatever weeds have built up there ready for the next crop. I assume that you could also do that where you're just basically lasering out the whole bit of foliage yeah. you've got there ready to put in the next crop. So you've got nothing left sitting in the soil, no weeds, but no herbicide left sitting in the soil and you just go and plant your new crop. So quite fascinating. That's amazing. That is future farming. It is, but it gets better. Oh, There's wow. more. There's more. You've also got drones that are being used because when you drive over your crop, you might do a little bit of damage. You might push the crop down. Of course, it springs back up. But if you can eliminate that altogether, there are now drones that they're using. That shoot lasers. No, oh. I love that idea. But they like Terminator. They're using the, <laughs> the weed spray movie. method. They're, yeah, they're okay. flying around with cameras, picking out the weeds and then spraying them with herbicide. But I did so badly want it to be yeah. the lasering. I just have a feeling that the amount of power you'd need on that drone would be more than they could do. You know, it might get three laser bursts and that's about it. Because lasers use a bit of power. So yeah. they probably couldn't get but enough But spray's of that. got a lot of weight. Yeah, well, that's, that's going to require too. some power. Yeah, um, and maybe they're, they're focused on going out and they can cover a large area with not many weeds on there. Yeah. So maybe they figure they don't need a lot of spray to be held there. And they're fairly big drones, it must be said, so they've got okay. a fair bit of room for battery on there. But maybe that's the next one, because I do love the idea of that. I do love the idea of the farmer saying, I'm going to spray my weeds at night. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the noise. Because <laughs> in the day, it wouldn't look as exciting, but at night time, you invite your friends around yeah. and say, we're going to have a few beers on the deck here, watching my crop be lasered and hoping... Guy Fawkes night at your heart out, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Hoping no one's gone and broken into your drone and starts lasering your good crop rather than your weeds out there as you're doing it. The whole purpose of technology is to make life easier and improve the way that we do things, right? So in making transactions, apps like PayID allow a quick and easy exchange of cash in a secure environment. Or so you'd hope. But let the buyer beware. Quick and easy should not mean fast and loose. Matt, there are pay ID impersonation uh, scams now, and Aussies are getting burned. Yeah, and they're, they're just, I hate to say it, James, they're so clever in the ideas they come up with. Pay ID is really cool. Some people don't like giving out their bank account number. I'm not mm. giving you my bank account number because you'll go and steal all my money, but I want you to get a check to me that could be a fraudulent check. I'm mm. not sure of the logic there, but some people don't feel comfortable. So I get that. Pay ID works by simply giving someone your mobile phone number, they've probably got that already, or your email address, and they've probably got that already. So it doesn't feel like a big risk to give someone one mm. of those details and then go and pay someone. So it sounds fantastic. Banks have got it going. All the major banks have got Pay ID going. Costs nothing to set up. You can set it up easily and start accepting money with Pay ID. Except scammers out there realise that it's new, so people don't necessarily understand it. So now when they see something advertised, maybe two or three hundred dollars, they go and contact the person, hey, I want to buy that off you. I'm only comfortable using pay ID because I'm worried about scammers out there. So can you set up pay ID, please? Oh, I haven't heard of pay ID. Oh, it's right. Look, I'll send you the details to set up. You just have to pay 50 bucks into this and then you'll have your pay ID set up forevermore and then I can pay you that $300 for that couch that you're selling. Oh, okay, then I'll go and do that. And of course, 
the $50 goes straight to the scammer and you never see $300 from that couch you're trying to sell. So they're relying on it being new technology and relying on people not really understanding and knowing about it. And you kind of think, oh, well, to set up PowerD, 50 bucks. I guess that's okay. Banks charge for stuff, so I'll get it set up. And then I've got it there forevermore. It sounds like a great system. And the banks are saying, we will not charge you to set up PowerD. If someone asks you for money, do not pay it. That is not a bank. But, of course, people are using or, or seeing this, and they're being scammed for money. So already, PowerD is so new, but already... Aussies have lost $260,000 to pay ID mm. scams, even though it's incredibly new and people aren't really using it that much yet. So it is a bit scary just how quick they get onto new things. There's some research that came out from the NAB actually that said that 25% of people are deterred from selling some of their items, their secondhand items online, because they're worried about hassles from scammers and yeah. being contacted by scammers. And it does happen, even if you're absolutely aware and alert to all these scams, my daughter does some paintings and sells them online and she guarantees that each new painting she puts up, she'll get three immediate inquiries about that painting and she almost dismisses them straight away as scammers because they start asking. She still follows through and has the conversation with them, but she just is looking for the red flags. As soon as she sees one red flag, right, she wipes them. If she actually had a legitimate inquiry for someone straight away, she'd almost write them off straight away. So mm. it is a hassle to do it. I mean, she sells enough that she eventually gets to the stage where She's okay with it, but it's a hassle just to go through that rubbish in the first place. So if it's something that you're just selling an old push bike or an old couch as a bit of a one-off, you prepare yourself to, for this onslaught of all these people that are trying well, to take Well, education is power, so they say, don't they? Yeah, that's exactly right. So you, you just have to be a bit suspicious of people, which sounds really sad yeah. for human society. But the PayID scam, that's the latest one that's out there. PayID is a great feature. Go and set up with your bank now, whoever your bank is, go and set up. So you've got it. So when that scammer says, oh, I'd like to pay via PayID, oh, great. Here you go. Oh, oh, and that'll be the end of you hearing from them. <laughs> yeah. And with that, we bring the lights up, clear the smoky haze, and send you on your way while the roadies take care of clearing the stage. Thanks for another cracking tech talk, Matt. I'm off to get tech some talk. sleep. Tech, tech talk, one of those, yeah. <laughs> tech yeah. talk, even. I'm going to get some sleep. I think I'm going to try it, see if I can catch some Pokemon. <laughs> well, catch yourself some Pokemon, yeah, of so course. So when my wife comes in and says, darling, what are you sleeping on the couch for? It's the middle of the day. I'm doing research for tech talk, so yeah, I know absolutely. what it's all about. Me, I'm off to see if I can annoy the neighbours with some rousing renditions of Nessun Dorma, strained forcibly through an untrained larynx. Thanks for joining us again this week, folks. We hope that you continue to enjoy our show as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. I'm James Eddy, wishing you all the best for the next seven days. If you haven't done so already, hit a like button or subscribe through your favourite podcasting app. Get your friends on board too. <laughs>